Broadcasting from the UNMC College of Nursing, get ready for RN Huddle, the podcast dedicated to bringing hot topics for and by nurses to the table. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of RN Huddle. This is your host, Heidi Keeler, and I'm coming to you from the University of Nebraska Medical Center here in Omaha. And we are actually still social distancing at RN Huddle. And so although this is originating from the College of Nursing, we are practicing social distancing and recording via the same. So this episode of RN Huddle is going to address something that we don't typically think about and in the area of wound care. And so with us today is our co-host, Renee Paulin, certified wound ostomy continence nurse and nurse planner here in our continuing nursing education office. And Renee is going to explore a very interesting component of wound care related to nutrition. Now, oftentimes when we think about healing a wound, we think about the dressing or the wound environment, assessing for infection or things like that. But it's also very important to make sure that your patient or client is taking in adequate nutrition in order to heal that wound. And so we're going to really dive into this topic with a special guest today, Liz Friedrich. She is a registered dietitian and nutritionist and president of Friedrich Nutrition Consulting. And Renee is going to talk to her a little bit about her background and explore this very interesting component of wound care. So let's go ahead and get started. Renee? Hello, this is Renee Pollan, WOCN, and on RN Huddle today, we are excited to have our guest, Liz Friedrich, who is a registered dietitian nutritionist in North Carolina, as well as president and owner of Friedrich Nutrition Consulting. She has nearly 25 years of experience as a hands-on clinician in long-term care facilities. She has also authored or co-authored two book chapters and numerous articles in journals and magazines on wound healing and end of life. Liz is board certified as a specialist in gerontological nutrition, is a fellow in the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, and is nutrition wound care certified. She currently represents the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics on the National Pressure Injury Advisory Panel's Collaborating Organization Council. Welcome, Liz, to RN Huddle. Thank you, Renee. I'm so pleased to be here. Now, uh, first of all, you have quite the experience and expertise in your specialty, and honestly, I was not personally aware that there is a specialized certification in wound care for dietitians. I commend you for taking that specific path. Thank you. Yes, there is. And there are not very many of us that are certified um, around the country. And out of curiosity, was this specialized education quite different from your other studies? Well, I think many dietitians are not familiar with wound care, so it does require quite a learning curve to get up to speed with the recommendations and the concerns, the issues, the nutrition strategies that can be used for wound healing. So for me, a lot of experience in researching and the subject and working with patients with wounds and speaking on the topic, but for someone who's kind of green to that topic area, yes, it would require a good deal of study and preparation. Which would make sense because it's very specialized. And yes. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of our listeners can relate to the fact that obviously nutrition is important for wound healing, uh, as many of us 
refer our patients to dietitians and highly encourage our patients to increase their protein intake uh, to assist with healing. However, I know there is more to it than just pushing protein intake, right? Absolutely. Actually, the protein is a key nutrient, but it's also important that along with that, we provide our patients with adequate calories because if enough calories are not consumed, then they will, the person can tend to break down their muscle tissue to get the protein they need, to get the calories they need. And part of the metabolic pathways, it's kind of complicated and not necessary to explain, but the calories are as important in some respects as the protein. So those two need to go hand in hand. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, definitely an individualized plan of care for each patient. Absolutely individualized plan of care. That's one of the key components that dietitians look at is making sure what we recommend and what we plan for the person meets their lifestyle, their cultural preferences, et cetera, et cetera. It's way more than just ordering some protein. You really have to look at the patient as an individual. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So for those with pressure injuries, the majority of the time these patients or residents already present with some form of malnutrition. So I know macronutrients and micronutrients are essential, but what should we be teaching or offering to our patients to assist with healing for their pressure injuries? Well, of course, the protein and calories are key. Those are considered macronutrients. Another macronutrient that tends to get overlooked a lot is fluid. We need to you know, try to make sure they're drinking adequate fluids to meet their nutritional needs, their fluid needs. And then there are several micronutrients. Uh, I mean, I think all nutrients are important to maintaining a healthy body, but there are a few that are key to wound healing, and that includes the vitamins A and C, and it also includes vitamin E, as well as the minerals copper, iron, and zinc. And is this something you would look at, I mean, for each patient, you know, would some require more of in one area or is it you kind of standardize it with wound healing? How, how do you approach that with each patient when you're recommending? Well, typically a patient that is eating well typically doesn't require supplemental vitamins or minerals. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, not all patients eat well, so, you know, that's a can be a complicated situation from a nutrition assessment standpoint. Mm -hmm. But um, sometimes they might need a multivitamin, but typically uh, individual supplements of things like vitamin A, vitamin C, zinc, those are typically not recommended, even for patients with stage three or four wounds. You know, we'd want them to eat well and um, give oral nutritional supplements if they're necessary, and then possibly a multivitamin but typically not individual nutrients in, in a supplemental form. That makes sense. And then micronutrients such as vitamin A, I know a lot of those working in wound care are well aware that vitamin A counteracts the delay in wound healing that is seen in the presence of steroid use. So I know some providers prescribe oral and some prescribe topical vitamin A to the wounds. What is the best way or what is some guidance? There just doesn't appear to be a whole lot of research out there unless I'm missing something. Well, you've hit the nail on the head when it comes to vitamins and minerals, really. Um, not just vitamin A, but all. The research is very limited, particularly the human research. 
And so most of the recommendations are based on anecdotal evidence or clinical judgment or information about the role of nutrients in wound healing. But vitamin A is found in a lot of different foods. For example, beef, milk, dark green, dark yellow vegetables like carrots, broccoli, spinach, things of that nature. So again, a person who's eating fairly well, especially if they're a meat eater, a beef eater, a milk drinker are probably getting as much vitamin A as they need to support wound healing. Oh, that's, that's really good advice. Have you seen where some will take the vitamin A gel capsules and sprinkle it on the wound? Did you have that in any of your specialized education? I have not seen that, no. Okay. I can't really speak to that. Okay, well, that's interesting, just foods. You know, we don't always have to think about vitamins or medication, just simply linking it with food would be beneficial. So uh, that's definitely something to think about. What are some common foods or nutritional supplement choices that you recommend for your patients with pressure injuries? Well, of course, you know, foods first is a, typically a dietitian's motto. As a nurse, you would want to encourage a well-balanced diet. And that is easily achieved if you follow something called Choose My Plate, which is available. Any, anyone can go to the choosemyplate.gov website, and it kind of gives a nice overview of what a well-balanced diet is. Of course, that would include your protein foods, which are your typically your animal foods, meat, mm -hmm. milk. Um, but also a lot of vegetable foods such as beans and nuts and seeds are all good sources of protein. And then of course your dairy foods, good sources of protein and many other nutrients as well. And then your grains and your fruits and your vegetables. So typically, you know, if, if a person can eat foods from all of those groups a few times a day, I mean, that's an oversimplification, but that's what you are looking for. I usually tell people, if you think about like when you, are in a hospital or an, in a skilled nursing facility or some other group setting where they serve you a plate that has a meat and maybe a starch and two or three vegetables and fruits on it. You know, that's the healthy way. If we could, everybody could eat that way, even mm -hmm. those of us who are walking around and have freedom to make food choices, then we'd all, you know, be in a better place from a nutrition standpoint. <laughs> but it's complicated. People have preferences and dislikes and financial constraints and transportation constraints. There's so many things that can affect what a person is gonna consume that it's way more complicated than just saying, here, this is what you need to eat. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. There's definitely a lot of barriers, but yes, I'm sitting here thinking I need to improve upon my uh, diet as well. So uh, a lot of good advice. Now, as far as the new pressure injury guideline that came out in late 2019, can you briefly provide our listeners with some of the updates or changes that were made that we should tune into? Absolutely. The National Pressure Injury Advisory Panel, in collaboration with the Pan-Pacific Pressure Injury Alliance and the European Pressure Injury Advisory Panel, I hope I got all those three complicated names correct, released uh, a large clinical practice guideline in November, and it included all different types of things related to wound healing, support surfaces, prevention, risk, treatment, et cetera, et cetera, and included a chapter on nutrition. And this is something that is in its third release now. The first one was 2009, then 2014, and now this one. 
And there were some changes um, in the 2019 version that are worth noting. Of course, they focus on nutrition assessment, nutrition screening and assessment, and encouraging in-depth evaluation of a person's nutritional risk and nutritional needs. They talk about malnutrition and how to identify it. And then they give guidelines for different nutrients, including, and this is for not only prevention, but also treatment of pressure injuries. And they talk about protein and calories and fluids and vitamins and minerals. And as I kind of touched on earlier, I think one of the biggest changes is in the vitamin and mineral category. They just were no recommendations about that because the research is slim. And since these are evidence-based guidelines, there wasn't enough evidence to make determinations about vitamin and mineral supplements such as vitamin C or zinc, for example. So one of the biggest changes from a nutrition standpoint is they don't address that except to say that, you know, if the general food intake is not sufficient, that a multivitamin is probably acceptable. Okay. Well, that's a fantastic update. And, you know, our listeners, the nurses or um, or whoever's listening can bring to their dietitians as well and show them those updated guidelines so they can work as a team to uh, improve their patient outcomes. So that's great. And Renee, uh, and then, yeah, excuse me. I'm sorry. Um, there was one other thing that is a, a little stronger wording in those guidelines than we've seen in the past that mm-hmm. I wanted to mention. And that is not just the use of routine oral nutrition supplements, which would be like your different shakes or puddings or whatnot, but also the use of specialized nutrition supplements that contain amino acids Mm -hmm. and antioxidants. Those are considered, you know, the language is stronger than it was in the past, that those are recommended for patients with a stage two or higher pressure injury, if it's not healing, and if there are other issues that might make it necessary for those to be used. That's great. Better descriptors to help outline that is very helpful. And also, I wanted to ask you, you talked about malnutrition with the guideline. Um, So protein calorie malnutrition or weight, recent weight loss, as far as I know, this can contribute to increased risk for infection. So making it even more critical to monitoring wound progress. Is this part of your assessment when you're giving recommendations or how do you go about that? Absolutely. Malnutrition is a really hot topic right now. And if you are know much about the subject at all, you will know that the definition of and criteria of malnutrition is changing and is very complex. And right now, uh, there are a couple different guidelines that are used to identify malnutrition. The use of the old lab values, albumin and prealbumin, is no longer recommended because those lab values are considered acute phase reactants and their levels rise and fall in response to inflammation in the body. Um, So if you think about anything that could cause inflammation, that could be an acute situation or a chronic situation, that's gonna affect your albumin and prealbumin levels. So in the past 10 years or so, we've really taken a look at how to diagnose malnutrition and the current guidelines that are, are released by the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics and the American Society of Perennial and Enteral Nutrition look at a broad 
scope of things that include insufficient energy intake, unintended weight loss, loss of muscle mass, loss of subcutaneous fat, local or generalized fluid accumulation, and decreased functional status. Now, obviously, those things are all important, and you know we could spend a couple hours talking about that. But there is also a new international guideline called GLIM, and G-L-I-M, and it looks at some of the same criteria, but also a couple different criteria. So yes, malnutrition and infection are highly correlated. The challenge comes into how to identify and code for malnutrition in clinical settings. And what you said about the albumin and prealbumin, I just remember, you know, I had a dietitian that would say, you know, don't make sure you look at the whole patient, like physically look at them and look at their overall status um, and to really get away from the prealbumin and albumin. So I know that's kind of been in talks for a while, but so that's interesting to hear from you. That shouldn't really be, you know, the main identifier. Absolutely. And actually, uh, dietitians do something we call nutrition-focused physical exam. And you may see some of that in your clinical settings where, I mean, you know, we look at the bigger picture. We evaluate skin turgor and edema and heart rate and look, is there, you know, do they look cachexic? Do they, have they lost muscle mass? Um, We have a whole kind of laundry list of things we can look at to help identify malnutrition in that way. Okay, great. And uh, I wanted to bring up the Braden score because I know a lot of our listeners are nurses or WTAs or nursing students are well aware of the Braden scale and particularly the subscale concerning nutrition. Is this something you look at um, in your role? Are you seeing it used accurately in practice? Uh, What are you seeing? Uh, yes, I do look at it, and I think I I would characterize it as one tiny piece of the nutrition assessment puzzle. I mean, I think that information is important, but it's only as accurate as the person who's making an assessment about what an individual is consuming, and we have other ways of looking at that. Most clinical settings, post-acute care and acute care, have ways of recording intake, that are available to you know the nutrition practitioner. So that information for a longer period of time, like on a daily and every meal basis is available. So I'm not saying it's not important in the Braden scale. I'm just saying it's just one piece of the whole picture that we would look at. Sure, sure. Yeah, because yeah, with the Braden scale, definitely looking at uh, other subscales just, you know, to be uh, help identify those at risk for pressure injuries. So that's good. Well, this has been a lot of information and uh, brings me back to my nutrition class back in nursing school. So this has been very helpful. Is there anything else you would like to share or any other takeaways uh, that you want to be sure our listeners are aware of? Uh, No, I just thank you so much for having me and encourage your listeners to look at the big picture. And and clearly, you know, one of my key concerns is that we know how challenging nutrition is. Food is medicine, but it's so much more. And um, it's easy for us to be judgmental when our patients don't eat the way we think they should. But our patients have a lot going on in their life, and we need to kind of meet them where they are instead of where we think they should be. And that's one of the many challenges. Absolutely. 
Well, thank you, Liz, for sharing your knowledge with us. This was very helpful, and there was a number of key tools or suggestions that you provided today that a lot of our audience can take back with them to a variety of settings. Listeners, be sure to visit the MPIAP site and download the 2019 Prevention and Treatment Guideline book, as well as other podcasts from RN Huddle with other MPIAP experts. Until we meet again, thank you. Well, thank you so much for that encouraging and interesting discussion on nutrition and wound healing. This has been an incredible collaboration that RN Huddle has experienced with the NPIAP. It's really been so beneficial to have the experts of this organization come in and give us guidance on wound care and how to treat different injury. And we really, really appreciate it. And I encourage you to look out for more episodes that include wound healing and prevention and treatment of pressure injury in our collaborations with this organization. It's just been fantastic. Thank you so much to our guests, Liz Friedrich and our co-host, Renee Pollan. We really appreciate you putting your minds together and sharing your expertise in this way. So thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of RN Huddle, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to RN Huddle. To stay connected, follow us on Twitter and Facebook at UNMC CNE or check out unmc.edu slash CNE for more program information.